Welcome back to Dating What Went Wrong, the show where we look at dating and try to answer the age-old question, what the F happened? And more importantly, why isn't enough F happening? I am your host, Rob Scow. For today's episode, we're going to look into sex and dating, as well as that magical spark that makes a relationship happen, or that lack of a spark that prevents it from even starting. That's right, it's a two-part episode, because today's guest has too many specialties to limit ourselves to one topic. Today, I have Alexandra Pincus. She's a marriage and family therapist and a certified sex therapist. Alexandra, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So, what inspired you to work in the field of sex therapy? What inspired me to work in the field of sex therapy? Um, I think it was a few things. I mean, when I was getting my master's, um, I thought initially I'd be working with teens. I think most of us, when we're a bit younger, we're like, we're going to be with people who are are closer to our age. So teens made sense. Absolutely didn't make sense for me at all. (laughs) Um, not my vibe. I just couldn't deal. Um, but, uh, I got into my couple's therapy course at Pepperdine and something suddenly clicked for me. And I went, you know, this is for me. Yeah. Um, and so as soon as I was basically allowed to even go near couples as a trainee or intern, I got right into it. So I was working at a treatment center, um, for substance abuse. And there was a group that was being run where people who were in the treatment center could also bring their partners in yeah. and have like a group therapy. Um, so I started doing that and then I ended up moving to a different center. And the minute that they kind of, for the first so many months, they're like just individuals. And and then they allowed us to do couples. And that second, I like jumped right into as many couples. I was basically like the couples person at that center. Oh, nice. any, yeah. Any couple, I was like, I don't care what's going on. Like, please send them my way. This is what I want to do. And my supervisor at the time said, you know, if you're going to get into couples therapy work, you really need to get into sex therapy work because Mm. the two are one and the same. What happens in the bedroom is happening in the relationship. What's happening in the relationship is happening in the bedroom. And you can't really separate it out that much. Um, So I ended up going to a certification program at UCLA called the American uh, Association of Couples and Sex Therapists. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a two-year certification, got trained there. Uh, and then once I got certified, I actually got hired and I'm now the co-director there. That's amazing. That's awesome. So it was congratulations. Thank you. So that got me right into it. And I I do fully believe that, you know, so much of what is happening in our relationship is happening in the bedroom too. So I think they're kind of one and the same. That is a great distinction. And then I, I definitely have some questions about that. So what, uh, so you tried individuals Mm -hmm. and and you preferred couples. What was it about the individuals versus the couples that that sparked that interest? You know, I, I don't know so much that it's, I, I, start, I seek individuals now. I, mm-hmm. I do have some individuals. I, I would say my practice is about 75, 80% couples. Oh, wow. And then some uh, individuals. Overall, I my focus in life, I think as a therapist and just in my own life is about relationship, relationship with family, with friends, with partner, whatever that might be. And that, that is for me, what, what makes us feel connected in this world, what makes us feel whole. So, so in a sense, even when you're working with an individual, you're helping them through their other relationships, even if the other person's not in the room with you. Even if the other person's not in the room with me. And also, so as what I'm, you know, what I'm called as a relational therapist, a relational gestalt, gestalt therapist, that's, that's my modality that I work in. 
much of the relationship that I form, even with an individual is something that tells me and tells them about what's going on out in the world with their relationships and helps mm -hmm. them grow. And I part, try to be part of that process with them, even in an individual relationship. What ended up really you know, pulling me into couples was it is so dynamic. I mean, yeah. there are two people in the room with these rich histories and they are trying so, so hard to get the other person to see things the way they see them. Yeah. It's, it's not that easy because we were born in different bodies with different brains and different backgrounds that created different, you know, neurological connections. And I'm not going to see it the same way you do always. It might be close, but yeah. my purple is not your purple. Right. Yeah. I've, I've experienced that a lot too, where the same stimulus has the opposite reaction where some people mm -hmm. are like, that makes me sad. The other one is like that. It's hilarious. And yeah. I've gotten myself into a lot of trouble with that because I'm usually on the hilarious side. And someone's like, that's, that's really terrible. Why would you think that's funny? And then suddenly I'm single again. <laughs> so I, I mean, I've, I've gotten myself into trouble that way. Certainly. I think probably more with friends than anyone where I'm like, this was a funny joke. Maybe it wasn't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so um, what has been your experience with dating? My experience with dating. Or just maybe even go, go even broader with relationships. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, with relationships generally, I have beautiful relationship with my family. I think like my parents are the bee's knees. I think they're awesome. Many of my friendships I've had since, you know, childhood. Um, I really, I'm one of those people who like, when I connect with you, I connect really deeply and I go all in. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the person who introduced us, Alyssa and I have been best friends since I was nine years old. Um, She's great. And, like she's my sister. I mean, I don't even, I, sometimes she's like, I don't even know that we're like really best friends as much as we're sisters <laughs> at this point. We've been through everything together. Wow. Um, and many of my friends are like that. Some of my friends I've had since I was five years old. Um, and so I think I'm like that with dating as well, that like for me finding, you know, today we're talking about that spark when yeah. I find that spark. And if it's mutual, that feeling I, tr I'm all in, in a sense, like I, I want to just see where it goes and I want to kind of get, you know, deep with this person and feel connected. And, um, for myself, I actually have been married and divorced now. Hmm. Um, but even so like being who I am, you know, my ex and I are still friends and like, he knows if he ever needs anything, like I'm right there. Yeah. And, and I know the same thing. And, and, you know, even as you know, we ended up parting ways, um, I really wanted to make sure that I held on to like, I married you for a reason. And there's a good juicy part of this relationship, even if it's not romantic, but I want to make sure that I still have this person in my life. Yeah. So that's kind of me in relationship, I think. Yeah. And, and going with that, I, I tend to be friends with a lot of my exes or people that I've dated. Mm -hmm. And I know that can, that can really be off-putting to some people that I've dated after that, where I'm like, mm -hmm. Hey, I'm inviting my friend over. Oh, by the way, we dated for three months. Mm -hmm. And they'll be like, wait a minute, I am not comfortable with this. And so what, what is your sort of take on that? It, do you, I'm guessing you don't see as many red flags, maybe, but where you know, are the, uh, where's the line that, there? Yeah. It's everybody's, you know, comfort level. And what mm -hmm. I tell all of the couples that I work with is that your relationship is your own individual kind of contract between the two of you about what your comfort levels are around certain things. 
Um, and I think you have to kind of rewrite the contract every time you're with a new person as to like, what works for you? What are the boundaries? What is considered like out of bounds in this relationship? Mm-hmm. And not to the extent where any one person should feel ever controlled. I don't think that's a dynamic that ever is helpful. But, you know, if one person's kind of like, you know, the dynamic of this doesn't feel good to me, or maybe can we wait a few more months before we have that interaction? I want to feel more secure in this. Is that okay? You know, I think that that's an okay thing to to kind of put out there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think it's a tricky dynamic introducing an old, you know, partner to a new partner. And I think that requires a certain level of you know, security, connection, trust between you and your new partner. And if that's not there, that I think that's a conversation to have. Like, I'm not quite there yet. Yeah. One of the things that I've been trying to work on with myself is being clear about what's important to me and what I want, but yet not being dismissive of there being like a disagreement there. Mm-hmm. So I'd be like, this person's important to me and I would like them to be part of my life. But where, where are you at with this? And where can we come to an understanding? Yeah. And I think that's, that's a good thing to kind of have the conversation about. And that's how you kind of build your own contract in essence with your new person. It's like, they may say, you know, we're so new. I don't know that I'm ready myself. And I I think that's a kind of very therapeutic way to come say it, the I statements, but I don't think I'm ready to have that, that kind of mind game of my own about like, what is this here before you and I really feel more solid? Is that fair? And then I think that's a conversation for you to kind of decide, is that okay? You know, is that fair to me? Um, kind of hash it out. You know, what is, what is this relationship between me and this new person? Um, and what is my, this relationship between me and this older person? If it's someone you dated like 10 years ago, I don't even know that it's like really a thing, but if it's like the person you last dated, like I think that's a, not an unreasonable conversation to be having. I'm like, maybe, maybe we do kind of, create a little more of a boundary here for now. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you a little more about sex. Mm -hmm. So what does it mean to help someone sexually? As a therapist? Mm -hmm. um, What does it mean to help someone sexually? Sorry, I paused because my dogs are barking. I don't know if you want to ask the question (laughs) or not. And I don't know if you can pick it up on audio. I, I did hear it, but it, um, I guess I'm used to hearing animal sounds because I have two cats. Okay. So, so. I, was, I was like, I don't know if you need that on the audio. Okay. <laughs> so what does, it, uh, what does it mean to help someone sexually? There are a number of things that I'm helping people with sexually when they come into my office. Now, I, I primarily work as a couples therapist, but as I said, it's kind of one and the same. Um, if someone comes in and they are purely coming in for sex therapy, they'll say, I have this problem. It's purely you know, sexual. And they'll tell me whatever the problem is. If it is truly, wholly a sexual problem, it's most likely something that's that's one of two things. Um, it's going to be an issue relating to something medical or organic that I say, hey, go to this doctor, get this treatment, practice this, and it resolves itself. And it's mm-hmm. pretty, pretty easy. The other thing is our sex education in this country sucks. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yeah. So it's just pure misinformation um, based on how people weren't educated in some way around sex or the porn that they have watched, which is like atro- atrociously like misrepresenting what sex should be. I really thought it was a stork for a lot longer than I should have. 
yeah, it was I, when I found out how sex happened, it was really weird. Yeah. Um, so yeah, many people don't know so much about sex. So then I end up giving them some information. And after like two or three sessions of information, they're like, Oh, so I'm normal. Oh, that's all I needed to do. Whatever, you know, that kind of information might be. If it's not one of those two things, it's generally not purely sexual, right? It is generally something relating to relationship, whether it has to do with performance anxiety that has to do with how I show up in a certain way and what your relationship is to me in that space. Um, and, and that creating kind of an amped feeling, um, or a, a difficulty experiencing desire that's not related to any organic or medical issue, um, that has to do with relationship, which often is something that, that people do come in either a desire discrepancy between two people. One person wants more sex than the other person. Mm-hmm. Um, or the drop-off that happens in every relationship over time um, in terms of desire and, and kind of that, that, that movement towards sexual experience that used to be way more frequent. And now, mm-hmm. gosh, we're only doing it whatever amount of time. I've heard that's marriage. Is that, is that not been your experience that, that, that there's a drop-off when you get the ring? Um, that is something that's historically written in articles. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yes, there is a drop-off depending on timing, but typically mm-hmm. that drop, drop-off actually has to do with the kind of slowing down of the experience or the dying down of the experience of something called limerence. Oh, please explain that. Um, so limerence is a stage in a relationship that we kind of talk about as that like lovey-dovey, ooey-gooey experience. And what that is in the first like kind of six to 24 months-ish, when a couple meets, they have that spark. Mm -hmm. And as that spark kind of grows, they experience higher dopamine and higher serotonin. So you get that like high feeling around this person. It's like doing drugs. Yeah. And the other thing you actually have is a lot of cortisol. So whenever you don't see that person, suddenly you get that anxiety. Like I didn't get my last hit. When am I going to get it again? Oh, so you become like withdrawal drug addict. You become a drug addict. You're, you are addicted to this person. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah. So you keep on going in for more hits. That next text comes in. Oh my God, I got the dopamine rush again. I'm feeling so great with them. And in that stage, we end up having this deeper kind of connection that fuels a higher sexual experience. Now, there's a couple of things I wanted to touch on with that. So could this be related to why so many people, especially in the early stages, stay with people that are clearly a lot of red flags? Like Six Flags is not just a theme park. Like it's, there's just a lot of red flags with this person. And they're like, no, no, it's great. If you, maybe they're just drug addicts that are just stuck on that rush. You know, is that why that we end up doing staying with that person? I don't know that that's why we end up staying. I think, you know, if we're with someone where there's a bunch of red flags coming to us, there's other reasons why we even gravitated towards them that probably has to do with our own kind of attachment dynamics mm-hmm. that that feels familiar in some way, or there's an effort at repairing old trauma that we're saying to ourselves in some way that we can change this person. If we can change this person, then then, you know, we'll fix the problem. We'll know that, that we really are loved in some way or whatever that kind of story we're told as we gravitate towards that red flag. Um, and all of our friends go, but you do this over and over again. And why are you doing it? And you go, because I'm repairing something, but you're not able to say that. Mm-hmm. Now, 
yes, I think it is tied in with as you're getting close to this person. Yes, you do experience limerence probably. I'm guessing you're just high and you're like, it's the best thing ever. Yeah. Um, and what ends up happening as a limerence fades, which it fades because we get bonded to somebody. Mm-hmm. So through sex, you end up releasing all this oxytocin, mm-hmm. which is, you know, the, the love drug. This is so, such a romantic way to explain all I this. Know, like, <laughs> I know. I'm so sorry. No, I uh, actually like the science behind it. It actually makes, <laughs> it actually works for me. Although I know that limerence at Christmas time yeah. is not going to be the next uh, lifetime yeah. special. No, but it doesn't make it any less magical when you experience it. Yeah. Um. So, so what oxytocin does it is it actually erodes serotonin and dopamine and cortisol. So you no longer feel all the anxiety, which is great. You're suddenly really secure in the relationship, yeah. but you're also not high. Uh-huh. So as you're not high, you know, when we take drugs, it like masks our trauma. It masks the stuff that's problematic. It, we don't feel the stuff that's painful for us. Um, and so suddenly you're like no longer in it. And you're like, oh, I'm feeling all of my old trauma that I had. I'm feeling all the old stuff. And I'm looking at you and you are hitting every button. <laughs> and suddenly we kind of peel off that high and that's where you find the real relationship Yeah. when you peel that away. So you reach about typically a year and a half. And that's typically when couples end up coming into my office is somewhere of a year and a half or two years in mm-hmm. and they go, Oh my God, we are just fighting all the time. And it's like, yeah, limerence is over. And this is where the real work begins. This is where real love begins because you're looking at a real human. You're not high anymore. It's not clouded. And yeah. you get to choose now. Yeah. If you want to try and work to maintain that spark mm-hmm. or if you need that high. That's a very interesting uh, point. I've, I've had a lot of very short-term relationships. Mm-hmm. So I have, I guess I've been high a lot. Uh, <laughs> and so I, I think that, you know, it's, it's interesting because I, I've, it becomes this self-perpetuating cycle where people don't want to date me because they don't see any long-term relationship. But then I try to get the long-term relationship and then no one wants to commit to that. So it's, it's this weird self, uh, uh, self-perpetuating prophecy. And, um, and yeah, it does make it challenging, but it also, there, there is something to be said about, like, I have never really dealt with the fall from the high. I've never really dealt with the, the lack of drugs, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, and that makes some of us into limerence junkies. I mean, we, we're like, you, you find that kind of like serial dating. You're like, Oh my God, the next high, the next high, um, which is so unbelievable. I mean, when you're in it, like you, you are soaring. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, but, you know, you talk to the people who've been in longer term relationships and they'll go, yeah, that's getting to that, that place, getting those highs is part of my job getting that, you know, that to happen again, but you can't sustain it because quite frankly, if you stay in that high all the time, you probably won't get a lot done. <laughs> right. Right. Like, so we do need to go back to work and like see our friends and like have relationships with other people. <laughs> do all these other things. You know, it reminds me and, and, and I'm, I don't remember the exact uh, terminology that was used, but I remember there was a difference between, it was like, it was like happiness and joy. I believe it was something along those lines. It was, there were those times when you're like really excited and there were those times you're just kind of content. And the idea is that you can't sustain this like peak excitement, but we're always chasing it. We're always chasing Mm -hmm. that thrill that makes us feel so good. Mm -hmm. Even though that thrill will always just lead to 
the adrenaline junkies of happiness or sex mm-hmm. or relationships. And mm-hmm. so it sounds like, it, it kind of sounds like we have to get to a place where we're satisfied and then knowing what that is and where our limits of that, of like the, maybe the boundary between satisfaction and settling. Yeah. I mean, we never want to be settling, right? but I, you know, what my kind of philosophy and what I tell my clients is there is no person on this planet, not even a friend who's Mm going to fulfill every single need that you have. They just won't. I think generally getting to an 80% of like, wow, this person rocks my world is Mm -hmm. pretty great. Yeah. And I think we ultimately have a choice to, if you imagine it on a lazy Susan, focus on the 80 or turn it and focus on the 20. Yeah. And I try to help my couples really like decide, like, is that 20 that they're not getting something they can get somewhere else? If they're not going on the hikes you want to go on, or if they don't have the same kind of humor than you, that you have decide if that's a, a, you know, an absolute you need, or is that something that like, I go laugh about these things with my girlfriends or my guy friends or whatever, you know, can I find that elsewhere? And is the other stuff juicy enough and not in a settling kind of way, but like 80% is pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting that you say that because I I've been going through this, uh, in, in my own life too, of like, you know, every time I, I, I date someone, I, I go through that same thing. I'm like, Oh, they don't like this one thing that I love. And then I kind of pull back and realize, wait, how important is that? Like, if I never do that with them, um, like I'm, I'm currently seeing someone that, uh, isn't into hiking and it was definitely a bummer when I heard about that, but she loves board game nights. And that is something that, well, side tangent, I host a board game night. So that is clearly, so I don't host a hiking group. So (laughs) clearly I have made uh, more of a focus on the board game night. And so the fact that she is very excited about that means so much more than the lack of hiking. And I have plenty of friends that will go hiking with me. And so I I realized that it's like, oh yeah, that's not really, it, it sounds like a disappointment, but it's not really an issue. Yeah. You got to kind of sit, you know, with, you know, if I really close my eyes and imagine like what my life looks like with someone. Yeah. Do I think I can create that life with this person for those top things? Yeah. And then for the other things are those things that I can find somewhere else. You're not necessarily going to want to watch all the same movies with the same person. Like I I know that there are some things I'm never going to (laughs) watch. And if my partner wants to watch that, I'm not doing it. I have definitely learned that one uh, <laughs> a lot. <laughs> there are a lot of things that people have dated that want to watch that uh, I don't. But yeah. it goes the other way too. But I think where this gets a little more complicated is sex. Yes. So yeah. you mentioned that bedroom and out of the bedroom are related. Yeah. So uh, would you be able to elaborate on that? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there's so many ways that can kind of <laughs> Should I be itself. more specific? Yeah, I mean, it's... it's Please, uh, give me everything you know yeah. <laughs> within, <laughs> within two minutes. Let me give uh, you my two-year master's program plus my <laughs> certifications on top of the uh, <laughs> um, I guess maybe the... Um, let me see, let me try to be more specific here. Um, so maybe maybe some pitfalls that people can... that that. Uh, that anyone can learn from of, of like, okay, if you're seeing something in sex that needs that, that 
that is a problem for a relationship or lack of something that you're seeing in sex that is a problem for a relationship? Well, the number one thing across the board is communication. Mm -hmm. Um, It is the number one thing that every couple comes in to see me for. So you know, if they're having, you know, a poor sex life for whatever reason, often it has to do with them not communicating in the bedroom and learning a sort of communication in the bedroom is critical. And it's something we're not taught and it often feels really shaming. And you're and talking about like things you like, things you, you like things you want to try. I think, you know, as a society, we've been so shamed about talking about, you know, this is yeah. something that I'm interested in, or even being able to say like, that doesn't feel good. Yeah. Like in any way, we feel like we're not supposed to say anything. We find ourselves kind of grinning and bearing it and then like not getting our needs met. And I, I play, I'm pretty sure that the best sex comes from grinning and bearing it. I'm pretty sure that's, uh, everyone talks about that being the best sex when you really tense up. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly what gets you really going. No bruises involved. Um, so, uh, no, it's, you know, best sex comes from relaxation. And, and I mean that in, in so many ways, because how sex even works is that in order to become physically engorged, you know, a female's you know clitoris or a male's penis, you have to relax. People think it's going to be like the, the sympathetic system coming into gear. Like you're mm-hmm. like really, you know, amped and, and up, but it's actually yeah. parasympathetic. If you aren't relaxed, if you don't feel comfortable with the person you're with or in your own body, then you aren't going to relax and you can't become engorged. Hmm. So, so being able to communicate and being able to feel safe in that communication with your partner and to say like, these are the things I'm interested in. This was what does feel good to me. What I talk to my couples about in terms of how they might communicate is sometimes it can feel really shaming to the partner to say like, oh, I don't like that. Yeah. Like in that kind of language. Yeah. So I would rather people kind of investigate with one another. So if one partner wants to share, like, I'm really into whatever it is, I, you know, I don't care. And I work with BDSM kink, but poly, mm-hmm. all of it's, you know, on the table for me. Um, so, you know, if they want to share, like, this is what I'm really into rather than having that automatic, like reaction of, Oh no, I'd want them to kind of say, okay, tell me what about that, you know, gets you going. Yeah. Like, tell me more about it. Give me more information because even if that ultimate title is not the thing for you, it's pretty common that as we kind of get dig deeper into it, that we can find pieces of that experience that we go. I think I'd be down to do this. Yeah. So somewhere in that journey of exploring this like erotic fantasy of whatever it might be, you might be like, okay, so, you know, you're really into, I don't know, getting spanked, you know, or, or whatever it is. And then you say, okay, what about that? If they're not into the get participating in that, right. If you start learning more about it, you may actually go, actually, I'm okay to start doing that. Yeah. Um, or you might go, okay, so you like generally the sensation of not having some sense of control or whatever it might be, or, or whatever the story is behind it. I wonder if we might do this that might help engage in that kind of feeling. Yeah. So you create opportunity rather than shutting somebody down. Yeah. So it, it sounds like you are talking about uh, really being comfortable to explore your own feelings and desires and not feeling. Uh, guilty that that those feelings are okay even if the other person's not down right that, that you can say like i'm really into you know um 
spanking on a chair. And the other person's like, you know what? I'm not, but I, that doesn't violate my, my, you know, sensibilities. And, and if you want to bend over a chair and do that, we can do that. Yeah. Or if that's not the thing that you want to be doing, it's like some things, you know, some people go like, I'm not into that extreme. Like some people may not be into choking or something because right. they, that's not, and they're like, I'm actually, that's not something I, I want to be doing, but then you might ask, okay, so like expand that. Cause rather than coming in immediately with a negative, I think that's really hard for people because they're like sharing something so intimate, so personal. So if you could go, okay, tell me that about the choking, like, what about it? You know, I like the idea, again, it often has to do with control dynamics because yeah. in BDSM, there tends to be the sense of like who's in control, who's not yeah. in control. Um, but, you know, there is often for people who enjoy choking, there's like, I like the sensation of like almost getting to that place of not being able to breathe and not, you know, I might not be okay. But trying to um, replicate that in some other way, like how else can we expand on this idea that you're experiencing of like, I might. I might be a little unsafe here in some way. What other ways can we do that? Now, it's critical for all people who are participating, and I have to say this in BDSM, that there is a safe word and everything is negotiated ahead of time. Is it is it decide, Is there like a general BDSM safe word or do people come up with their own? You come up with your own. And sometimes okay. if you're not able to say, if you're gagged for whatever reason or something like that, then you come up with a physical one. Uh. But you know, it is really safe. It is always consensual and is always safe. Yeah. Um, so what looks like it is somehow not consensual, you know, even in a kind of porn experience is always consensual if it's true BDSM. Um, so that sensation of like someone being choked and like, oh, I might not make it. They always know that they can stomp three times and stop yeah. the sensation. They think there has to be a safe word in that. Yeah. I think one of the, the challenges that I run into personally is that I kind of have, I kind of grew up with a very prudish, relationship with sex, which is wonderful, you know, wonderful in, in a free society of people having sex outside of marriage to, to grow up very prudish. Thank you. Thank you. History. Um, but, um, but yeah, like my, was that we have very different families. Yeah. <laughs> my my mom, my mom would say like, you know, no sex to your 40 or no, no, uh, no, no, uh, you know, and things like that. And it just, it, it didn't set me off to the right path. On, on, on exploring myself, uh, on exploring my sexuality. Mm -hmm. Um, but now it, it's funny. Cause I'll be like, you want to try something new? Mm -hmm. What if we did on the other side of the bed <laughs> and, and that it doesn't get the reaction that I think is interesting. Uh, it's, um, so yeah, it, it's a lot of catch up for me is to, to try new things and to be, to be okay with trying new things. But what's, it's interesting to me is what I have found is some of the weirdest thoughts that are in my head someone else has that thought as well and and most most of the time when i'm honest about sharing a weird thought i find out that it's way more normal than i thought and and i i held on to so much anxiety just thinking that i'm broken in some way by thinking this thing instead of just saying all right i have this thought you may agree you may disagree but let's just chat it out and you know, if we want to try it, we can try it. If you don't, then we don't necessarily have to, but I wanted you to know that this is where I'm at. Communication is, I'm telling you the number <laughs> one thing the communication. in my office. It is absolutely the number one thing. And so much of the work that I end up doing is if he just said it out loud and someone actually was able to understand you, I'm not asking anyone to agree to anything or agree with you, but just try to understand it. Mm -hmm so many things 
end up getting so much better. So still staying on the idea of, of sex relating to the outside of the bedroom, um, are aside from communication, are there, do you, do you tend to see like if someone explains their sex or their routine, are you able to sort of predict what their relationship is in sort of the other way around? not so directly, like in terms of like what their sex routine is, like, am I missionary or what's going on in that (laughs) sense? No. Um, but if they're particularly structured in the bedroom, Mm -hmm. like if it's very routine and nothing's kind of moving outside of any boundaries, it's Mm -hmm. not unlikely that their life feels probably more routine to some degree. And there may be less flexibility to some degree. Um, things might feel maybe like they're, I don't know what the word is. Um, like, like life is kind of just moving through the paces, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so don't have sex schedule uh, if you if you want to not be seen as the structured individual. Actually, exact opposite in my practice. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Um, scheduled sex is really important. And it's not about... So when I say routine, I'm like, if you're doing the same moves every time. But with couples who have been together for a long time and have life going on often, as I said, with limerence gone, sex can kind of fall to the background and we end up looking around the house and we go, this needs to be clean. The dogs need to be walked. The kids need to, you know, deal with this, this, and this. I'm so tired. Oh, and we can't make room for it. Yeah. So I tell all of my couples that I really want them to schedule sex. Hmm. Um, so I want them to put it in their calendar. And when I say sex, I'm not just talking about intercourse. In fact, it doesn't even have to be intercourse. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. Sex to me is a whole spectrum of experiences that you might experience in kind of a a tantric kind of world. So we talk about sensuous sex, erotic sex, and orgasmic sex, none of which, by the way, need to include penetration. Interesting. I thought I, I, I only know the one, so it's, it's very good to know that there's, there's more, there's more things. Well, because the experience of an orgasm is really actually in and of itself hard to define. I mean, some people can even think themselves off. And so the only thing that an orgasm is, is ultimately, you know, an experience of deep pleasure to, to Mm -hmm. this kind of extreme degree. Um, and some people can have multiple orgasms, you know, it's, it's, there's so many things about it. So in terms of the experience of sex in and of itself, many people have sex and don't have an orgasm. doesn't mean you didn't have sex. So it kind of goes through every version of this. So in terms of sensuous sex, that might be caressing, kissing, hugging, the kind of cuddling. Um, and then you move into erotic, which is going to go into more of the erogenous zones. There's boobs, butt, penis, you know, whatever it might be. Um, or if you have a particular area of your body that's hyper like, sexually sensitive, that is, you know, not one of the standard ones listed, include that in that list. Mm-hmm. And then orgasmic sex just means you included the orgasm in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I'm giving this assignment to my couples, it's like, yes, I want you to schedule it, but I also don't want you to feel the pressure that it has to be anything. All I want it to be is two people who are enjoying in a pleasure oriented way, not a goal oriented way, because goal oriented gets people that goal oriented sex tells you so much about how people live their lives. So I mean, maybe you could, uh, like, let me, that, maybe that is when you talk about like orgasmic sex would you define that as goal oriented? If you're saying like, Hey, we need to have sex for the purpose of finishing. Yeah. That's goal oriented sex. And that tells me that you are not in the moment. You are not Mm. living in a more like mindful state of like what feels good right now. 
Right. And, and we are able to achieve such expansive kind of experiences of pleasure. If we can be more mindful in our bodies and be like, what feels good. It just feels good that you're massaging my back. Right. Like, and just be in that and do that until you want to do something else and then move into something else. And so when I tell people to schedule sex, I'm like, I don't mean like the, Hey, I know I can, you know, come in the next 15 to 20 minutes. I mean, like, race to the finish line. Like, I don't want that kind of sex. I want them to have the kind of sex where they are setting aside the whole time for them to go take a shower and like feel good in their bodies and get into like those nice sheets. Or if they're going to do it in the laundry room, I don't care wherever it's going to be, but like set the scene, set up the candles. If you want them, create the whole scene, do the cuddling talk for a little while. If you want to, if that means you set aside two hours and you got to get the babysitter to like take your kid on a walk, you know, or, or to the park or whatever it is, like figure it out, but like create this yummy space where you can have that more, you know, explorative experience that isn't routine. Hmm. That's interesting. Okay. Um, so how, when you, when you want to improve someone's, uh, sexual experience, how much of this is confidence related? Um, I don't know that it's necessarily confidence related as much as it is comfort and trust related. So maybe it's a confidence that their partner has their back in mm. a sense that their partner's not going to judge them. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that they can be in the moment and yeah. that they can just feel into their own body and pleasure. But I don't know that it's like, I've got this. I think that, that I don't know that that gets you anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. Now we'll just turn off the confidence then. That's Perfect. <laughs> And I mean, confidence is good for us all generally to feel good in our bodies and things like that. I think in that sense, it does have a sense of like, if I feel good in my body, if I love my body, if I can give myself that self-love is important. But Mm -hmm. if we're talking about like confidence that like, I know what I'm doing in the bedroom. um, I think the, the best thing is in some ways not knowing. Uh, And what I mean by that is that with every partner you meet, and on any given day with the partner, you know, um, different things are going to turn them on. And so if you walk in thinking, you know, it, and you're not willing to listen to their body as you guys are interacting and really be in the not knowing place of like, Oh, I'm really listening to your body again, communication, you know, and, and responding to what you're, you're giving me right now, rather than being like, I know how to get there. (laughs) Um, I think you're going to have much better sex if you just try to listen. So what I'm hearing is that because I can walk into sex with no confidence and have no idea what I'm doing, I will be a sex God. <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I just heard. <laughs> if you're willing to listen and take the cues of your partner. Oh, okay. <laughs> that sounds like more work, but I guess I could do that. So uh, going with all this is is good sex a requirement for a good relationship or is there sort of, does that relate to listening? I see you kind of shaking your head a little bit. Um, No, good sex is not a requirement for a good relationship. There are plenty of relationships out there that are absolutely beautiful where they don't have sex. And that is the choice for their relationship. As I said, every relationship is a contract between two people and what they choose to make of that relationship is up to them. Right. And so I've seen beautiful, beautiful relationships where there's, there isn't sex present. Mm -hmm. At least there isn't, you know, intercourse present. That doesn't mean there isn't hugging and cuddling and things like that. Um, You know, 
the definition of what is good for them is ultimately my question. So if someone's coming in to my office and they're saying something's wrong with our relationship and I want more of these things, my definition of what's wrong is based on what they bring me. If there's nothing wrong, you know, if they're, they're either not going to come in my office or if that's not even the problem on the table, then it's not the problem I'm going to be focusing on if it doesn't seem to be impacting them. So, so yeah. yeah. So it's, it sounds like that kind of similar to my question of hiking versus board game nights, because the board game nights is more important to me. There's less, less to worry about in terms of that. So basically um, hiking in sex versus board game nights in sex or whatever the <laughs> sexual equivalent of that is. Um, as yeah. long as, uh, she tickles my board game night, so to speak, yeah. then, then that's all that really you, matters. Yeah. If it works for you, it works for me. Like, you know, I, as a couples therapist, I just go, Hey, if that makes you happy, as long as everyone's consenting adults and you're feeling like good and safe in this relationship, I I've got no qualms with whatever works for you. If you can roll my dice, then, yeah. then this will work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then you may, you may pass go. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Otherwise, go to directly to jail. Do yeah. not pass go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's get into the spark. Okay. Because this is also something, um, the, the, the more I hear you talk about all this, the more I'm excited that I combine these two things because it sounds like they really needed to have been combined. Um, <laughs> so yay me. Good job. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> uh, but, um, but yeah, it sounds like, it sounds like spark is important. Yeah. It, it, you know, it is. I mean, look, is it important for a good relationship? I don't know. I think there are plenty of, you know, arranged marriages out there mm -hmm. that happen where it, there wasn't a spark mm -hmm. and what they built, you know, out of that was that trust and that, that connection that is very different. That's probably that second chapter of a relationship. Um, you know, the, the post limerence mm -hmm. stage, um, but there, you know, it's not the most common thing in the United States to go through an arranged marriage. Right. So then I think you are left with like, is there a spark or am I marrying this person for the practical reasons? Right. And can I, can I, can I make that decision that it's for the practical reasons? So is from a psychological perspective, does that mean spark is limerence or is it something else? I think it's a little bit of something else. I think it may, that limerence is part of it. Mm -hmm. But I think spark is something that you, I think it's like the start, it's the, the, the match mm -hmm. that gets limerence going, okay. I guess. Yeah. Um, and how you define the spark in and of itself. I don't know that that's so clear to anyone. I, I, I wish that makes it me was. feel a lot better by the way that you say that because, <laughs> because you would know, and I most certainly don't, and it's always bothered me. So the fact that there's no clear definition really just eases a lot of stress. You know, I think there's so many pieces that we have to put together to create what the spark is. And I think if we could so easily define it, you know, it would be so much easier to have, you know, matchmaking services be so much more, you know, yeah. popular. And certainly there are matchmaking services out there and, and some of them do pretty well. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think they are looking for the things that then you have to break down. And this is an interview system that you're trying to figure out, like, what is the, the equation to create a spark? Yeah. Um, and, and you have to kind of suss out like what's important for each person, because the list of what's going to be important for each person of what creates that spark, I think is different. 
you know, whether it's intelligence or humor, and I think humor, you know, can be a subcategory of intelligence in many ways, um, that you guys might have similar backgrounds that create that certain rhythm in a conversation that feels secure, um, that creates a certain openness that you're able to kind of have that banter that goes back and forth, um, that you, you see yourself sharing similar values very quickly because just so quickly you end up kind of spilling that information. So we're like the hummingbird um, kind of conversations. We're just like, blah, 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 blah. yeah, you find yourself just rattling things off and you find that like you're matching, matching, matching. It feels like almost like a, there's some game that's going off in my head right now where it's like, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> you're just like, <laughs> like it just starts happening. And you're like, oh my God, how is this happening? And I think you start getting that dopamine rush in that moment. And I think that kind of kicks off. Yeah. Limerence. Cause you go, Oh my God, every time they say something, it's hitting another mark that says, yes, 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 yes. And <laughs> it's, <laughs> and suddenly the ball's rolling and you're like, I can't wait to do that again. Are you talking about like, and I'm, I'm making this up, but I may not be making it up if it's a thing, but mental erogenous zones. I think so. I, I do. <laughs> I, maybe you did just probably make up a term, but I do, I do think it is somewhat that, that you just go, God, they get me so quickly. I think that's yeah. often the thing you end up kind of walking away with, with the spark is like, they're getting me. You just rubbed my brain butt. Yeah. And it felt good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I do think that's what it is. <laughs> I'm going to yeah. talk, call it a brain butt from now on that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I mean, if you're into butts, there's some, so many other things, you know, there are other things, but I, I don't know. For some reason it felt like, rub my brain penis seemed just a little much. So okay. <laughs> brainstem. I don't know. How did you want to, yeah, there, there's a lot of ways to go with this and, and, it, and it could definitely go down a spiral that, that, uh, that ignites my, uh, what junior high level sensibilities. Oh, sometimes I'm a junior high level person. So it's fine. <laughs> I mean, how, I mean, as a, you know, in, in sex therapy, is it, is it kind of hard not to giggle at that stuff or is you kind of like gotten out of your system at this point? When it's a serious conversation, you know, I, oh, I'm not saying a, that, by the way, I'm not saying that like, when you're with clients, you're like, hey, 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 no, sex. no, no, no. Um, <laughs> butthead kind of stuff. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, like if we're having a very serious conversation, I grew up in a family that was very, very open about these things. Mm -hmm. um, both of my grandmothers are psychologists. Uh, and you know, I, I was in therapy throughout my life, not for any particular reason, other than my parents thought that it was really valuable to wow, have great. a space for me to kind of do the, like the brain work that I wanted to do. Um, and, and I also, I mean, to, to give you an example, and my mother's probably going to kill me for saying this on a podcast, but <laughs> not at all. Um, but you know, as I don't know when she started this, but instead of saying, you know, have a good flight when you get on a flight. Her line to us was give the pilot a blowjob. Oh. Because he'll be happy and he'll fly happy. Now, this is a remarkably yeah. sexist com you know, comment sure. because there could be a woman and then I have to go down on her. Yeah. Um, but uh and you have to because your mom said so. Yeah, because she said so. But but to the point this became like the family saying. So she says it to me. What a great motto. It, she says it to my mom. She says it to me, you know, my, my dad. You know, my dad says it to us. It's like we all know that I say it to my dad. It's like it's bad luck to say have a good flight. And, and oh. now I even say it to my friends. And my friends, when I'm going on a flight, will text me, BJ. 
Yeah. Um, so, so that's the family that I grew up in. So that's awesome. <laughs> are they, are they, are they taking new members to this family? I, I'm sure my parents are trying to get me married. No, um, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Um, so, so, you know, no, when it's, when it is a really serious thing, I'm, I'm really, you know, with it and nothing shocks me and mm-hmm. I've, I've heard it all. I really have. Um, but, you know, do I get playful with my clients? Yeah. And I think, you know, not, no therapist is everybody's therapist. Mm-hmm. That is just because what, what all studies show is that, you know, the biggest thing in the room is the relationship with the person, right. with the therapist and who the therapist is. That is like the number one thing. And so I'm not everybody's cup of tea, mm-hmm. but the clients that I'm with, I think what they really do appreciate about me is that I'm, I am exactly who you're seeing right now. I am grateful. Um, I, you know, I have fun with them. We make jokes. I make things, you know, I, I go to the deep stuff, but I'm also there to like make things lighter and easier. And, yeah. um, and that is my dynamic in the room. So sometimes do we giggle or do like they make jokes even, and we all just start cracking up. Absolutely. So not, not to, to let you off the hook too fast about the, uh, <laughs> Uh, pilot BJ, is it only for flights or is it also like if you go to school or like, like have a, have a good blowjob at work today? Like, is it, is no, it only flights? No, it, was, it was only, it was only, it was give the pilot a blowjob. It was mm-hmm. always that. And then like, it kind of has somewhat evolved where like, I, you know, my dad will be doing a road trip and I'm like, give yourself a blowjob. <laughs> like, hey, know. if you can do that, I, you should do that anyway. That's uh yeah, we all just laugh about it. And yeah, she's going to kill me that I put this on a podcast. She'll also laugh. It's okay. My mom will kill me because I said, does your family have any more people that, that they, they really, really want to take me in? So, uh, so now we're a uh, solidarity that our families yeah. will kill us together. Yeah. Um, so then emotional intelligence, I've been learning more about that as I've been trying to work more on myself. Uh, emotional intelligence, perception, does that have any relationship to spark in terms of noticing it or not noticing it? Um, I mean, can you elaborate on that? Like in what sense? Can you give me an example? Um, my, my first gut response was no, I can't. Uh, <laughs> but, but <laughs> the, the, I guess the way, I guess what I'm ultimately trying to say is, you know, I've been on dates before mm-hmm. where a person's like, mm, I just wasn't feeling that spark and I didn't catch it. Mm-hmm. I thought everything was going great. And so, are they noticing something that I'm not noticing? Or maybe there's just something going on that they're not able to explain properly and, and they're just using that as an excuse. I, I can't say I'm not them. Um, yeah. but, no, no, please just get into their head and then yeah. let me know. No, I haven't met them. I can't diagnose anyone. I, it's not in my office. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I mean, does emotional intelligence have anything to do with the spark? I do think having similar um, intelligence generally is, is something you do see when there's a spark. It's like, because that ability to riff has to do with it. Um, emotionally, I think, I think that's a different kind of intelligence. And I don't know that it has so much to do with the spark because I will see people who have different levels, um, come in and I have to kind of break it down for one a little bit more than the other. Hmm. Um, you know, what you're speaking to, I don't know that that has so much to do with emotional intelligence. I think that, you know, dating's rough. Yeah. It's really rough. (laughs) It really is. And, you know, someone will, you know, feel something because you hit all their buttons 
you know, you, what did you say? You rubbed your, 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 uh, my brain, butt. your brain, butt. thank you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a gentle so, caress on the brain, butt. Yeah, you rubbed, you know, their brain, butt, but yours wasn't rubbed. And, and that's where you're looking for a spark that goes both ways. And it's, I, I think it's just one of those hard things where you go, God, my, you know, my brain, butt was rubbed. And then for some reason there wasn't. There's just rubbed the wrong way. There's a, yeah. there's a right way and there's a wrong way. And theirs was rubbed the wrong way. Yeah. So, yeah. all right. But that's, that's good to know. Uh, and I think we kind of touched on this a little bit that you don't necessarily need spark to, for a relationship to be successful. If you, if you can skip to the, the post, um, the post, let's say post high times. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you don't need it to be a, a spark for a relationship to be successful. If you're actively making that choice. I see. Now I think if someone's going in and going, I don't know if there's a spark, but like, maybe I'll try and make it happen. It's, I don't think it's very easy to make a spark happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but if someone goes, you know what, I want to get married. This person's the right fit for all these things. We've had this conversation in the same way that you would in an arranged marriage, like where we both know that it's not really there, but like, this feels like it would be a really solid base for the two of us. And that mm-hmm. this is the life we're choosing. Then I think from there, you may start building that more rich kind of deep. And I don't mean rich in terms of like that, that it's better than limerence. I just mean that it, it's not a high state. Yeah. It, that, that connection is very different when you're basing love off of those hard times, seeing someone for who they really are and being in your like truth, being in your trauma and working through stuff with each other. Um, it's a, just a very different kind of relationship. Hmm. So yeah, it can be successful, but you're making, you have to make the choice knowing that. Are there any sort of ways to, to fuel the spark to sort of fan the flames or is that just very individual or is there a general way to, what is the, What's the cheat sheet? If you got a sparks notes, so to speak. A sparks. <laughs> um, <laughs> Did you write that down before you started this? Podcast? I didn't, but I did think of it a few minutes ago. And I was like, how do I make this fit in somewhere? <laughs> um, so, you know, my experience and I, you know, I can never say anything hundred percent because I don't, I haven't seen everybody in the world. Um, but generally I don't think that a spark happens when it hasn't been there before, hmm. but part of my job as a couples and sex therapist is if it was there before to try and make it happen now. Mm. Um, again, to try and replicate it. And I do think there's a way to replicate it. Um, if it was already there, I do think it's possible to create it in a relationship later on down the line in the sense that as we all get older, we become new people. I think we're, we're kind of in some ways shedding our skin every so many years and then showing a new. And so perhaps if you moved back into, Hey, let's move back psychologically into dating zone and go out like we're dating again and ask the questions that we asked in the beginning. Like, where do you imagine yourself in five years and start getting in like that conversation again that you had in the beginning that kind of showed a different version. You might create a spark later on. You know what I'm kind of thinking with this and I don't want to get your thoughts is, you know, going back to what you were talking about with sex, where kind of having this sort of like, astronaut on the moon mentality of like, I'm going to explore this, this, this unknown terrain that that was the more interesting way to have sex. It could that be also how to reignite a spark is that a relationship becomes so known that there's nothing interesting, 
But if you take a step back and see it with those, those unknown eyes and just say, let's rediscover ourselves again. Is that you should become a couples therapist? Um, no, that is so much of what I'm trying to get my couples to do is to try and, you know, see their partner new, try new things, especially in the bedroom. Like it's one of the things if they've kind of gotten to a routine, I really want them to start incorporating or trying new things to try and create that spark. But again, that's not just in the bedroom. It's trying new things in like a bigger way, trying new date ideas, new activities together, creating new version of you because so much, I mean, Esther Perel talks about this. She's incredible. Um, but you know, she talks about how, when you see your partner kind of thriving and, and thriving comes, I think when we are doing kind of our best and doing new things and and we don't thrive when we're doing the same mundane thing all the time. Hmm. So doing laundry together, maybe not, uh, the sparkiest, you know, I think if you could make it fun, I think if you could make a game out of it in some Hmm. way, try it anew, um, towels don't whip themselves. (laughs) Like if you can create things into more playful ways that are new and fun and interesting and unpredictable, I think that's where you find moments of the spark. Hmm. Um, And that I think is some of my work with my couples is to try and help them replicate that. So giving them date night assignments where I want them to do something really out there Um, and, and hoping that in creating some newness and talking about things, I mean, one of the things that I use, I have it here on my table, but um, uh, they're called the and cards. Um, and you can buy them online. I think they're like 25 bucks and it's a deck of cards and there's different ones, ones for dating, ones for strangers, ones for friendships, ones for Hmm. couples. And I'll have my couples get actually the dating one because I want them to treat this like they're dating. Yeah. Um, and it has all these great questions that, that they can sit down at dinner and sometimes they won't get past like three questions because they just get into this roller coaster conversation, which is what you had in the beginning. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so, you know, in, in, when you start dating someone, I feel like that, oh, there's a spark or there isn't a spark is a very quick decision that people make. Mm-hmm. Is there sort of a, maybe a Goldilocks zone of when you should expect to see or not see a spark? Like basically are, do people give up too soon or they stay too long or is that think, too general? I think it could go both ways. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think some of us walk into situations and we have our kind of gut reaction, preconceived notions that maybe we react too soon, or sometimes it's really that we need, need to listen to our gut. Hmm. And sometimes we just know. Interesting. Um, I think, you know, to the same extent, sometimes we stay too long and we aren't listening to our gut. And, and we, sh- we should have listened from the beginning that this wasn't going to be working. Yeah. Cause I've, I've heard kind of, both ways where someone will say, I can tell when they walk up to me, if this is going to work, I can tell in the first 30 seconds and other people say, I need like three dates. So I think part of, depending on who you are, Mm -hmm. but to some extent, part of the spark for some people can be for many people can be attraction. Mm -hmm. So attraction has so many things, but so much of it is visual Mm -hmm. or is, audible in some way, a way a person talks, um, how they carry themselves. Mm -hmm. And if something about it just doesn't do it for you as they're walking up to you, like you just go the way they're holding their body, whatever it is, the way they, they just doesn't do it. Doesn't do it. 
I don't even know that your, your, you know, brain, butt will be able to be activated by anything they say to some degree, because you're just going, I'm so turned off by this other piece and not because they're so unattractive, just because that person doesn't do it for you. It, it sounds like also what you're saying too, is it, it comes back to putting the focus on what's the most important to you. Like if the way they walk truly is very important to you, that kind of carries a bigger weight than if it doesn't. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's initial attraction, which for many people is important, not for everybody, Mm -hmm. but, but for many people is important. And, you know, if someone walks up to me in a way that just signals something different to me than I'm, that, that does something to me, I don't know. Um, it may be hard for me to kind of go like, this is going somewhere. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and this is kind of going with, with all of that. The one thing that I've gotten a lot is the idea of a first kiss that people put a lot of weight on that. What is your sort of take on the first kiss? Should it have more weight, less weight or about right weight? I don't know. Well, I did listen to your first, your first podcast. Uh, oh yeah. 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 <laughs> um, that first kiss situation. That whole <laughs> um, you know, I've had some pretty bad ones. Bad I had some good kisses. ones. I've had, yeah, but some of them, like they, I, I stayed and it didn't go anywhere, but I've also had other ones that, that got better. So it's like, for me, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think it's all possible. I think that, you know, there, I don't think it should have as much weight as it does. I think that's my, mm -hmm. my, my first answer. I, because I do think that sometimes the first kiss is awkward in some way or something yeah. happens or whatever, or like whatever the the things are that get in the way of the first kiss. Also people like the first time people have sex sometimes can be really awkward in some way. And I think sometimes people... the 10th time they have sex can be really awkward. <laughs> yeah. I'm not speaking from personal experience. Every time I have sex, it's amazing. But you know, <laughs> a friend told me that once. Yeah. So, you know, it, it has, it's, it's stuff that can not work and sometimes giving it a shot and seeing if like, okay, this next time is better. But I do think there is something magical in those moments where you do get that first kiss that is, wow, that does say something to you. Now, is that wow kiss also the person that you necessarily are going to end up marrying? Maybe not. Um, you know, I've certainly had those moments myself where the interaction with someone just on a physical level, like being in a room with them, the chemistry was so intense. Mm -hmm. And I don't even know that when I'm thinking of this particular person that, that we even said many words to each other. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, that first kiss was incredible. Uh, and then it went nowhere because it really wasn't going to go anywhere. Like that's all we had that. Yeah. 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 I've, I've, I've had that too. Um, and, uh, yeah, things like, I, I remember one time I, I, I met someone and we, we met at a bar and we just made out everywhere. And, uh, that was the last time I ever saw her. It just never worked out. It just never went anywhere. And it seemed like it would be like a perfect match, but it just wasn't. I mean, I don't even know, but like, I don't even know what words we said. Like, I'm, I mean, what there, I don't even know there was a perfect <laughs> match. I think there was just this chemical, whatever it was, I couldn't tell you scientifically, mm -hmm. but like, like magnets. 
was there an astrological way or a, yes, a straw? I'm, I'm doing the one, the signs that I was, okay. I, sometimes I mistake my astronomy with my astrology. So astrological yeah. uh, way to explain this, or do you not put any faith in that? I don't put any faith in that. Okay. That's, that's kind of what I figured your answer would be, but I wanted to throw that out there. Although astrologers are going to come after me after this. <laughs> you know, it was, it was really funny. Cause I was, I was seeing someone once and we're like, let's look up our astrological signs and see how we are compatible. And we read it. It was like, these people are going to have a really passionate experience. And then it's going to fizzle out almost immediately. And I was like, that's funny. Cause we're so perfect for each other. And it, it really did play out exactly like that. So you know, I think that can happen. And I, I, I think that's coincidence to, mm-hmm. in my, you know, uneducated astrological opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you're saying I, you didn't get your master's degree in, in astrology. No, I, I did <laughs> not. Um, what I do think, well, here's what, you know, uh, I will say, um, gosh, what is that? Malcolm Gladwell. Mm-hmm. And he talks about how, you know, people born at different times of the year have different opportunities um, and are kind of in different, uh, sports teams at different times, and then are able to gain different strengths based mm-hmm. on the, their, their birth years. So I think he gives some example about how can't remember exactly. And I'm butchering it. I'm sorry, Malcolm Gladwell, <laughs> but, um, but how, you know, a particular sports team would have the majority of its players be born earlier in the year because they're going to be the bigger ones. And they got the longest time to kind of progress because they're, they were just older than everybody mm-hmm. else. And they were stronger um, because they were just bigger than the younger ones. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I do think to that degree, there are certain ways that, you know, we based on maybe when we were born are maybe more similar in some ways because we had certain different opportunities. I think also birth order has a factor, you know, in all of this and, and gender. And then you add the whole layers. And I'm like, I don't think that's astrology anymore. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> um. One of my other questions is, are there any pitfalls from Spark? Like, are there any, like, because I've heard all sorts of things about Spark. Some people are saying like, you need Spark. And some people are saying Spark is a danger because if you, it's sort of like chasing the high points of, of happy, of joy, instead of being discontent. And so are there any dangers from that? So I think there's a danger in that people define Spark as one thing. Hmm there's this one idea of a spark and they had it with this one person mm-hmm. that they had, you know, uh, like if I took that example of that guy I was talking about, and that was my highlight of what a spark is, I would fail in other moments where there was something so much better. Right. And so I think we have to be more open to what a spark is. There are sparks that are subtle, but they're there and they kind of tickle you. Yeah. And then I think there are sparks that, are fireworks. And so I think all we really need to be looking for when we talk about, you know, if we're looking for the spark, if that's what you want is, do I smile when I'm around this person? Do I want to see them more? Do I feel good and seen and, and like they, they, they see me and, and what do I like about this person? Um, and I think that is, is every much a spark as that fireworks. Oh my God, this is, you know, the best thing ever. And I think if you're looking for that, this is the best thing ever. I think that is a pitfall. Hmm. One of the things that I've been trying to do as well is kind of look at how do I, what is my initial reaction when I get a text or a call from them is, is my thought, Oh, I can't wait to see what they say. Or is it fuck, 
what what do they want now? That's the question. Are you in limerence? You know, that's that high, you know, do I get that rush? Do I have that dopamine hit? Yeah. Because I got that text because my phone, did my phone just go off and I went, Oh, is it them? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Or are you going, shit, I really need some space. (laughs) (laughs) Now, now, do you ever think that spark, uh, could be, uh, misread like someone saying there wasn't spark, but what they really are saying is something else, but they're afraid of maybe what that is. So they, they just label it as spark because it's, everyone knows spark and it's an easy way out. So people saying, oh, there's no spark. And then that's how they, they kind of got out of the relationship. Yeah. But there, maybe there's something else that they're just not saying. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think people do that all the time. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, yes, I do think that it does contribute, whatever it is probably contributes to, there is no spark. I don't think they're right. lying. I think right. if there was a spark, then they wouldn't be even sending the text right? or send, or having right. a phone call. Um, so whatever it is, even if there was a spark, I think something happened and took away the spark. Right. Um, but is there probably a second layer to that, that, you know, I mean, I'm reflecting back to your first podcast. It's like, Mm -hmm. there is no spark. It's like, she, she's saying, well, yeah, there was this other thing that was underneath it that made the spark that might've been not happen anymore. I see what you're saying. So the spark is sort of not the, it's sort of like the, the symptom, not necessarily the, the cause, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. That's, this has all been amazing. Um, okay. So, um, what do you, what do you feel your takeaways? I think we can move into takeaways now. Um, what do you, what has been your takeaway from this whole thing? Or I guess I can go, I'll go first. You you go first. Um, (laughs) My takeaway is that there was a lot more nuance to both sex and, and spark. And for me, I kind of thought of sex as you have the skills for sex or you don't have the skills for sex. And it sounds like there is, there is more to that. And a lot of it is not even based around confidence, but rather how you communicate your desires and, and, and you'll see your concerns to the other person and how it's received. Yeah. And your openness, like mm-hmm. how open are you to what is happening in the room with your partner? Yeah. Um, and not to say you have to be open to everything, but just a sense that, you know, you like, are you able to be part of that conversation and and explore? Are you willing Mm -hmm. to explore with your partner? And, and that has to do with safety. When we feel safe, we are more willing to explore. Yeah. That's a, that's a really good thing. Any, any other, uh, thoughts that you have from this, this journey we've taken? You know, I, I think that, you know, my, my thoughts walking away from this are, you know, spark is one of those things that's really hard to name. I mean, I can give you the science behind limerence. I can tell you how to, to make sex better. I can tell you all these things, but how to really get that spark initially. I think that is kind of one of those magical things that we are so lucky to find it. And I do think that all of us have so many, you know, partners out there in the world that are potential partners. Like, I don't think there's just one person out there. Yeah. Um, but to find them, that's like really lucky. And, yeah. and then we got to work on it. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, we forget that, that just because you had a spark doesn't mean it stays. And if you want it to stay, you got to work at it. So you're saying that even if you find that special person, that is your end all be all, that's still going to take work, that it's not going to be just, and then you're done. You found the person and it's done. It is not done. It is only going to get harder in some ways because you oh, no longer have, you only, 
you don't have the the high to like mm-hmm. keep that going. So you got to start creating it. You got to make sure you continue all the things we did in the beginning. And we all forget that. We forget we got to keep going on date nights. We got to surprise our partners. We got to work on ourselves to be the best version of ourselves because that's how you showed up when you first met them, right? Yeah. If you were presenting the best version of yourself and certainly being vulnerable and showing the parts that are not great is, is a great part of a relationship because you have a partner to help you grow, but continue growing. Try and like be the best version of yourself for yourself and for your partner. So once you become exclusive or you get married or you hit these different milestones, not to forget the work that you did to get there yeah, keep and to it. build on that. Yeah. Well, that does sound like work, but not in a bad way. It just sounds like that's, that's actually really good because it, it makes me feel better to know that, that it's not just one and done, that it's, it's an ongoing thing. Just like your own mental health is sort of an ongoing journey that, your ongoing relationship mental health is, is the same. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So if anyone does want to get more specific help with sex, um, how can they find you? How can they get in touch or, or, uh, are you taking on new clients? So like, uh, tell me how, how do, how do we, how do this podcast help you? Has, I, you know, I'm just happy to like have a platform where I get to share, you know, some of the information I have, give a little bit of, you know, psychoeducation around these things. I, mm-hmm. you know, I teach, uh, you know, at the ACAS program at, at UCLA and at, mm-hmm. at Pepperdine. Um, and, and for me, you know, I really teach because I want people to have the best relationship, best sex life they can have. And so if this just gets out there, then like, I'm happy for people to have had a better life in some way because they got a little more information. Um, so that's, that's what you, what you give me, um, in Wonderful. terms of <laughs> how, you know, how people can find me, um, you can find me on my website. It's alexandrapinkus.com um, or shoot me an email. My email's on there. Sweet. Uh, yeah. And I've got lots of referrals. Um, currently, uh, my practice is full, hmm. but I do have a wait list. And, you know, as people graduate, I'm not one of those therapists who's like holding on to people. I tell them when they come in, <laughs> you are, you know, we're going to do weekly. And then once things are going better, you're going to do every other week. And then when things are still going better for a period of months with every other week, then we're going to move to once a month. And then you just come in to get your car tuned. It's when wow. you need me. Wow. So I really want to make sure people are like getting what they need out of this and getting out the door and living their best life. So there is always a, you know, a rolling system. There's availability that comes up. So wait list, you can be. <laughs> that is wonderful. Well, uh, thank you so much for being part of this show. And yeah, uh, yeah I hope to stay in touch and, and hear more about your journey in the future. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Of course. Anytime. All right. Bye. Bye. So for my additional takeaway, I had to reach back out to Alexandra to get the green light for it because it's kind of long. I didn't want to go off on some useless tangent rant. So this is my thought. I was thinking about improv comedy and the training that goes into it. In improv, we are taught that the key to a great scene is listening. You're always listening in every situation But if you're thinking about the next funny joke you're going to make, then in that moment, you're only listening to yourself. The best scenes always come from people that are completely committed to being present in the moment, listening to each other and supporting each other. The fear in improv is that if you don't have a joke lined up, it won't be a funny scene. But the real skill in improv is being okay with not knowing where it's going to go, but also knowing that if you are present then you have the best chance of bringing out your natural sense of humor. So I was thinking, in terms of sex, the common thought is you have to be good at it. 
where we think the skill is being good at a particular action or motion. But perhaps the real skill is just being present, listening to the moment, and paying attention to what will make your partner the most satisfied. In this way, the confidence you bring to the bedroom is that you trust yourself that you're going to be okay. And when you do that, you can stop listening to your own fears and doubts and actually be able to listen to the moment. In that way, you will have your best chance of creating that spark. The thing I've often asked myself is, am I okay not knowing or must I know to be okay? And uh, I don't really have a great answer for that right now. So I'm going to keep working on it. And if that sounds interesting to you, join me as we dive deeper into dating. What went wrong? Good night.